All right, good morning. Coming to you on this beautiful day, I am your host, Cole Green, up here with First City Forum. And today I'm with I'm here with uh, Richard and Jacob from the Eagles Club here to talk about a little fundraiser they're doing for some uh, people affected with some health issues here in town. Yeah, so I'm Jacob. I'm the head trustee with the Eagles. This is Ricky, our very president. And what we're doing is we're trying to accept donations right now for Ben Anthony. A little closer. Sorry. Oh, you're good. For Ben Anthony, he had a major heart attack and was life flighted to Seattle the other day. Um, we just got an update. <coughs> Sorry. We just got an update that he's able to start sitting up, eat lunch, and everything. So he's, nice. do, he's doing better. But we're just asking the community for donations. They can bring them down to the Eagles Club anytime in the next couple weeks. We're also doing a fundraiser dinner for Prime Rib, which all the proceeds of that will be going to him as well. Nice. And. We're trying to get that done in about two weeks, but we'll be back to make the announcement of what day and time that'll be as well. Nice. And so uh, it's good to hear that his condition's getting a lot better because that's, that's a really rough thing to deal with, especially being medevaced. That's an expensive yeah. trip. It's huge. I mean, it's hard on a lot of people. He was big with the Eagles. He's huge at the Arctic. He plays pool for their team. The Arctic's trying to set a different event up as well for them to help out as well because he's really well-loved and welcomed in the community. Yeah. So. We're just trying to gather a lot of love, support, Good. and just try to help them out. And you were saying the, the first fundraiser you're doing is starting Saturday? Yes, we're doing a fundraiser Saturday, but that's for Eagles members. Oh, okay. But we will be accepting um, donations, like cash donations and stuff for a while as well that will be given straight to him. Nice. Good. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you guys for coming on and letting everyone know about these upcoming, uh, like, opportunities to donate and help out some of our community members especially don't forget saturday it is for the eagles members but donations are allowed so don't be or, afraid get down and help out or if you have friends who are eagles members hit them up come in have them sign you up as a guest think about becoming a member and helping out the community that's all we do good and i'm really glad to hear about it because you know yeah it's always nice when people can reach out and help yeah that's all we love we just love helping the community helping people so uh thank you guys for coming on if uh, I just want to say it's really nice to hear you guys are doing this, and I hope uh, I hope you makes a quick recovery because that's tough. Yeah, it's tough, and thank you for having us on today and getting yeah, us out course. there, and getting the information to everybody that we can. Is there anywhere you guys are going to be posting the uh, the upcoming events that you're doing? Because you said about in two weeks. Usually, we just post flyers for it. Um, we do have a Facebook page that can be followed for the face for Sweet. the Eagles Area One Six Two. But usually we just have people who get around town with flyers and everything like that. Nice. So, yeah, Eagles162 on Facebook if you're looking for any of that information. And there will be some flyers coming out around yep. town. So get out there. You know, donate if you can. Five, ten bucks here and there helps all, all, all the same. Time. Yep. So we're going to take a quick break real quick. And we will be right back here on First City Forum. All right, and we are back from that short break. I'm sitting here in the studio with uh, dear friend Austin Otis, and we wanted to have a little bit of a chit-chat today about some current events, both local, global. Yes, I'm back. How are you doing this morning? Doing great. It's been sunny for the past couple days. It's got people's spirits up, I think, a little bit. I but left the house in a t-shirt yesterday, and I was <laughs> astounded. I hate when you do that, and then in the summer... You leave in the morning and you come back at night. It's really cold or raining. Yeah. <laughs> Bad wardrobe uh, wardrobe choice. So um, there's one thing that I really wanted to get into today because I think uh, I think it's an interesting juxtaposition with how our government functions versus another. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And uh, I don't know if you know, but in 2001, Australia had a mass shooting where I believe they had nine fatalities. Uh, yes, yeah, and I think it's a pretty famous one around the world. Yeah, yeah. and after that, 
they collected all of the guns in their entire country. You know, it was about 650,000 individual guns. Uh But since then, they haven't had another mass shooting in 21 years. Mm. And in the United States, why have we not followed suit even ideologically? Like, I'm not saying, Mm -hmm. because, you know, the United States has about 330 million people-ish. Yeah. And about 450 million guns registered. And of that, I think, uh, like, it's like 50 or 80 million are assault rifles. Yeah. You know, AR-15s and whatnot. And so I just find it kind of interesting that uh, in a country where we have had more mass shootings this year than we have days in the year so far, Mm -hmm. we haven't followed suit with some of those uh, ideological choices and uh, political action. Mm -hmm. I just think, uh, why do you think that some of those things are happening? Well, one, I think, I don't want to make this a cop-out, but I think there's so many guns out there in the United States that I think a a gun buyback program is what Australia did um, to get those guns back. would almost be an impossible task. I I just don't see that being a policy that is worth pursuing. Mm-hmm. I think we can do a little more proactive things like um, increasing the age to buy weapons. That I agree. You have to be 21 to buy a handgun, but 18 to buy uh, rifles and whatnot. To um, be I always fair, thought that was a little backwards. To, um, be. to be fair, the statistics do reflect that uh, handguns are mm. cause more fatalities in the United States yearly than any Correct. other like, yes. auto. Yeah, because they're easier weapon. to conceal and whatnot yeah. and to, you, you know... People don't usually do shootings, like drive-by shootings with, like, AR-15s. It's yeah. always usually handguns and stuff, well, like, or murders and whatnot. That's something that's interesting to me, especially because um, the handgun was invented for combat purposes, yeah. not for hunting, hunting or anything that required, like, yeah. subsist- subsistence living. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a semi-automatic rifle, that makes sense if you're hunting a deer or a Absolutely. moose or a yeah. bear. But yeah. that's where it kind of comes down to, like, uh, in my opinion... The ideology of it, like, mm-hmm. yes, guns are legal. Yes, we have the right to bear arms, but mm-hmm. to what extent? Because that decision exactly. was made 200 plus years I ago. I think it's okay to draw lines of what, you know, shotguns, pistols, and rifles. Okay, we can draw a line there or, you know, we can, it's just a policy matter, you yeah. know, and it's something that we've been fighting for, for 50 years about, yeah. you know, where is that line drawn on weapons uh, in the citizenry? Because we do have a clause like it or, you know, or hate it in the Constitution that does talk about guns that is not really anywhere else in the world. So we really have to uh, interpret that to what we, we, we think is, um, you know, it, it's a clause that you can't ignore. It's yeah. there. So it's a. Uh it's tough, too, because like you were saying, it would be such a undertaking to buy back 400 million guns. Yeah. Plus, that doesn't account yeah. for unregistered or People that illegal firearms. Yeah, yeah like, 3D printing is becoming huge yeah. with guns right now. People are making those. Which I think, uh, I have a really hard time with that. Yeah. Because I think, technologically, how mm-hmm. cool is it that you can yeah. 3D print your own weaponry? Like, uh-huh. the, the ideas around it is cool, but then yeah. I think about... Black market. Unregistered, yep. unlabeled, no serial numbers, no yeah. traceable. Like, it's scary. It is, yeah. And also, a lot of people, um, it's a hobby to make, uh, like, ammunition, too. Yeah. I know people that make ammunition in their garage just for fun. You know, they'll they'll, uh, they'll go hunting and then just use those rounds and yeah, reload, they reload them. Yeah, they reload their shell And that's kind of a cool little niche craft that yeah. people do um, that, you know, should be legal. And it's... it's it's a it's more of a hobby than anything. Yeah. But you're right. It is a almost an, un, a monumental task that doesn't seem like policy can change it. I think it can. It's just, and I think there might be a disconnect between the citizens and the people that are in power. That I think a majority of Americans do want not stricter, but 
you know, some guidelines of buying weapons. You know, just like how we have guidelines with marijuana and alcohol. Or at least, like, more concurrent across all the states' rights and bylaws. You're right, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. federalism plays a little bit of role in this. Is like, each state, there is federal gun laws, but each state kind of has their own laws Mm -hmm. overseeing guns. You know, being in Alaska, usually most people here have guns. You know, to me, it makes more sense to have it here because people go out in wildlife and they hunt and they fish and compared to living in like New York City where there's yeah. massive amounts of people. So it shouldn't be a, a one fits all, um, you know, Which law. I agree, especially because like um, in a place like you were saying, like Alaska, where mm-hmm. we do have the opportunity to hunt and fish and things that like having a gun with you would be advantageous. Yeah. But then you look at places like you were saying, New York City, where yeah. I think if I'm not mistaken, carrying a firearm in New York it's City hard, is a if not illegal. potentially a, a two-year prison sentence yeah. for just carrying a gun in New York City. Yeah, yeah. It's really, um, to get like a carry license there, it's very difficult. You yeah. have to go through a lot. I think there's like some training involved and whatnot like that. So um, those are the types of things that I'm talking about. Uh, we don't have to restrict guns or anything. I think we should just make the process um, not harder, but put more things in place like you know maybe some training that you have to take to that for if you want to yeah. get these weapons or there's a proactive things like that that i think both sides can agree on and originally what the nra was set up is for a gun education and i think they have kind of steered away from that um into more the lobbyist um aspect yeah yeah and there's other or gun organizations that do just focus on um education of, of you know shooting and and like uh, safety and correct handling. Yeah, yeah, which to me makes more sense for uh, for a gun organization to do. Yeah, especially because um, I think safe handling is a big, big issue with a lot of gun owners. Because yeah. granted, I personally know a lot of people who are mm-hmm. very, very mindful of how they operate their guns, Absolutely. how they use them, where they're using them. Yeah. But there's just as many, if not more, people that don't. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, and I think maybe having test requirements for that kind of training, yeah. I think... Something that I could get on board with. I agree. Know? And that's something that I don't think infringes on the rights of someone if you have to go through those certain yeah. things. Yeah. Especially because, I guess just from the other side of things here, um, I could understand why you know alcohol limits are set to the age they are, exactly. tobacco limits are set to the age they are. Yes. Why are guns usually lower on average state Yeah, by I don't state? know the history of that. I don't, I, don't why, I don't know why rifles are 18 and handguns are 21. You yeah, know, it's uh, it's uh, a it, it seems a lot of like superfluous little rules that don't really yeah. make sense. They're just chosen as they are. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and to kind of get into the more foreign policy of weapon trading, I think the the United States um, exports the most amount of weapons around the world as well. Really? Yeah. No. Um, I saw something that really really blew my mind the other day so i was reading through some statistics yep. about uh because you know gun issues have been a really hot topic as they usually the come, elephant in the room right now they know. come in and out of the yep. news cycle pretty regularly yep. but i saw uh an interesting point that uh so texas for example has their own police force unit that is dedicated just to schools gotcha yes and yet they like an sro yeah like student resource officer yeah yeah mm-hmm. but they still haven't stopped any of these yeah. situations. So if we're allocating all this money and energy towards something that's not working, correct? Why are we not putting it into other programs? Other programs, yeah. Because um, I saw this, and the statistic kind of blew my mind because the police force in the United States started in 1786. Mm-hmm. Since 1786, 
two, uh, 23,000 police officers have died in the line of duty in a little mm-hmm. over 200 years. Yeah. Since 1999, mm-hmm. 38,000 people under the age of 18 have died to gun violence. Yeah. So yeah. if we're putting billions of dollars into the police forces, like mm-hmm. look at NYPD's budget. It's yeah. like, what, $4.2 billion yes. a year? Yeah. Some more than some uh, countries. Budget. So it seems as though throwing more money at the problem hasn't changed anything. Yeah. Maybe we need to change our lines of thinking on the problem. Because mm-hmm. if we have a police force that has more funding than some country's entire military <laughs> force, yeah. and there's still these problems happening, maybe it's not the police presence that helps. Yeah, it's based on uh, quality and not quantity. You yeah. know, just because you have more officers um, doesn't mean, I don't think you're going to get better outcomes. But um, it it's almost it is a policy issue and not a money issue i yeah. think for sure um better police training b- schools maybe we have to look at them as more of a they're being looked at as a soft target right now mm-hmm. maybe looking at them i mean security to me is probably the number one thing that comes to my mind in schools um i know they're trying to do some upgrades here to uh the schools to make them more secure and whatnot like um, locked entryways mm-hmm. and like one-way entryways and stuff like that so to me that's the more proactive approach yeah um you know maybe it's not the silver bullet but uh it's it's something yeah and i agree it's, it's nice that there are like actions being taken but um yeah i think part of my problem with the ideology around the issue is that we're it seems as though a lot of the rhetoric is about building new industry around crisis yes because instead of saying oh well we could we could solve this problem at the source say with guns but mm-hmm. you know that is a big issue yes but instead the oh secondary we need bulletproof glass for our schools and yeah. we need bulletproof doors and mm-hmm. we need one way in one way out yeah that doesn't feel like a good solution to create more industry because when yeah. you look at the people that and sorry if this sounds like a conspiracy but if you <laughs> look at the companies that produce a lot of the guns and yes. spend a lot of money on weaponry in our country are the mm-hmm. same ones who build a lot of the items that protect you from weaponry in our country <laughs> yes kind of like a closed loop system of investment <laughs> yeah no i don't think that's a huge conspiracy i think you can it's just yes. uh yeah it, that's part of why i feel like i am getting like more and more frustrated as time goes on with the yeah. way that our uh representatives are talking about it because yeah. they say say, oh, well, we can give them bulletproof backpacks. Mm-hmm. We can give them those bulletproof mats that yeah. they cover their body with. Yeah. Rather than solving the issue where the money comes from. Comes from. Yeah, and I think, um, actually, I think it's the state of California that just passed a law that you can sue gun manufacturers in the case of you being affected by a certain weapon. Really? I just read that. I don't know how constitutional that is. <laughs> uh, you know, that's probably going to be held up, you know, fought in the courts, but they did pass it. Um it was, you know, there is a lot of um, history around do people have the right to sue gun manufacturers themselves? And currently, I don't think we can. So they're kind of protected from any kind of civil yeah, lawsuits. They don't have any liability because once it changes hands, then it's not their... Correct. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the cop out that they get from that. They can that's be an- com- completely like, oh, you know, we built the gun, but it's not our, it's yeah. not our liability. It's theirs. So. That's another thing that bothers me in this uh, country that's very common is uh, the like the corporate recusing, where they go like, oh, well, I'm just the CEO of the corporation. Yeah. The corporation was doing these things. Like, yeah. um, I forget what court case, what time it was, but um, at a certain point, I believe it was during the 80s, there was a ruling that 
corporations can be uh, sued and uh, investigated as individuals rather than as a business, as the people who uh, operate the business. I see. So, I like see. Nestle can be sued, but that doesn't mean you're suing the CEO, the CFO, the CEO. Yeah, just the business. Just itself. the business. Yeah, you're right. So, like, who is accountable there? Is exactly. it the board? The CEO? Is yeah. it the employees involved? Like, it doesn't. The whole. Uh, the whole back, the back door of them going like, oh, well, I just work here. The company's <laughs> doing its own thing. But like, yeah. you're the controlling officers. How does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which kind of reminds me, did you, uh, did you see how Fiat Chrysler is getting sued for $300 million? No, I didn't. They were misrepresenting their emission standards in their cars. Oh. And so they're being sued $300 million for, yeah. you know, lying about. Uh, how good they were? How? Yeah, they were saying that their emission standards were much, much, much lower than what they huh. actually were producing. Yeah. Which is, uh, if you remember, in 2019, BMW got caught on the same thing for their clean, yeah. clean diesel. Yeah. Because uh, what actually ended up happening was they were putting in computer chips mm-hmm. that would actually be like a limiter for what it shows. So I it would see. say, if your car is putting out 27 times mm-hmm. the emissions that it has currently yeah. listed then all you know is what they're telling you. But yeah. they ended up paying like $150 million settlement on lying about their emissions as Interesting. well. Interesting. Yeah, I know um, Volkswagen wasn't allowed to operate Volkswagen Beetles for a long time because of emission standards, the differences between the U.S. and, really? and, and Europe. So, um, And something to do with the engine in the back. And there's a lot of uh, legal things yeah. around that. So. I feel like there yeah. should be a... That's why a lot of foreign cars aren't sold in the U.S. or you don't find a lot of cars in the U.S. So in other countries. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of weird trade rules. Um, I just feel like there should be uh, bigger legal ramifications for lying about emission standards because, as you know, emissions are something that's kind of a, yeah. a big issue yeah. in the last 20, 30 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is a good segue into gas prices, I think. And yeah. uh, talking about... So I was looking up the supply because I'm trying to get trying to follow down this rabbit hole why gas prices are are so high. You know, I think it's maybe multiple factors, but the supply hasn't been cut. It's a weird. I was reading this article about right now we're in this weird like post-war economy. Mm-hmm. So they compared it to World War II where we ramped up and we were focused on all these very specific things, and the, we had a very COVID uh, economy that was focused on very specific things of production, and then that gets turned off in like when you know in like a month uh and s- pivoting from that it can be difficult uh hmm. so supply lines get disrupted so we've produced more we've produced the same amount of oil and but demand has gone up and the supply chains are really messed up so there's a lag time there hmm. of delivering the oil from where it's where it's drilled where it's where it's refined and where it's being delivered so oh, that has okay. to play a lot into the supply chain of, yeah of Maybe our prices. You know, there is things you can, you can blame current administrations if you want. I don't uh, think it has any effect. I, I personally, I don't either. Um, the I think there's still more oil permits out there uh, on federal land than there has ever been. I saw the um, argument recently that uh, the Biden administration blocking more drilling in Alaska and like drilling contracts in Alaska is yeah. due in part to that. But I still yeah. I don't see the connection. No, I don't either. And if and the opposite could be said if prices go down then the president is doing something good right yeah so I, that's why you kind of lose me on that argument yeah um not that i like or dislike the president you know um i don't support or endorse many 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 politicians exactly. i'm very yeah, in the middle mean, on so many yeah of them. just because i don't think the argument is good doesn't mean that i support yeah. the president. um 
but yeah, it's a weird supply chain issue that I really the intricacies of oil just really are very complex. Yeah, I agree, especially with OPEC, like the yeah. the oil trading uh, yeah. like conglomerate that operates all of it now, like uh, in like multinationally. Yeah, how they set their their stand their yeah their supply for the year. They all get together. It's really weirdly collaborative. Yeah, and they keep a lot of countries out, like the U.S. that kind of do their own thing. I think 2019, the U.S. was the first time it was a net exporter of uh, oil and gas. So. But also wars play into huge yeah. huge part in unstable energy costs. As you well. know, I think about that a lot. How uh, the United States is basically just a wartime economy. Like there's <laughs> been very very few periods in U.S. history where yeah. we're not at war. Yeah, you're right. I think we're. I think that shows how maybe efficient the American manufacturing and economy can pivot so quickly. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that we have lag times. You know, but. We have a very strong economy in that sense, um, and I think it all started from World War II is hmm. just the right players of uh, the mechanics of running an economy, you know. And a large part, you know, hate to say it, but in wartime economies, governments play a huge role in uh, manufacturing and production. Yeah. So. Um, that is so crazy to me because uh, seeing as how we are a very, like, wartime boom country, mm-hmm. um, and in the last, what, I would say like 30, 35 years, we've been shifting from a production-based economy to a debt-based economy. Debt, yes. How do you think that will affect us potentially moving forward in other conflicts? You're right. We're a lot more service-based. We still do produce a lot of technology. Yes. So we create things. That doesn't necessarily mean we make them here. Yeah. And I don't think that's a bad thing. If those products, I don't think it's a zero-sum game. I think if we make make the technology here and think it's cool and send it to another country and they make it. They benefit from mm-hmm. working, you know, with a little asterisk of, yes, they need fair label laws and they yeah. get paid fairly and whatnot, you know, like Germany. And they produce really cool stuff there and they obviously have and really like good And like how Taiwan produces like 99% yeah. of all microchips in the entire world. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So it's just a different economy. I don't think that's a bad thing. Well, you my, know, it just shifts. Yeah. My only, like, consternation with the idea of us not being a production economy is the worry that, um, like, how I, I talk about this every once in a while, decentralizing your means of production. Yes. So if yeah. you can start at a local or community level, you're less dependent on other entities and other, Correct. like, groups to benefit you directly. Yes. And so yeah. the fact that we're moving away from a production-based economy and we're more about controlling and managing debt for other countries and entities, yeah. Yeah. I worry that in a real time of need Uh that could be a huge another supply chain issue but within the u.s yeah so i wonder why we've outsourced so much of that do you think it's labor costs or do you think Um, it's fair like fair trade it's probably labor costs and fair trade and our labor laws are better Mm -hmm. um you know, I, I, a little nicer to the a little worker. nicer compared to you know, and I I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think mm-hmm. we should lower our standards just to increase our manufacturing and production. You know, I think that I'm not for that. You know, I think we have decent labor laws and unions mm-hmm. in the in, in the U.S. and there is um, a lot of uh, there's a lot of tomfoolery with our labor laws yes, in certain parts yeah, of the U.S. But is, it's still yeah. pretty. It's overall like our standard <laughs> of. Uh, protection for the employee is pretty high. Pretty high. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I don't think we should lower those standards just to increase our domestic manufacturing by any means. But it does show, um, I think corporations 
are looking at their own supply chains after COVID is you can't have all your baby formula in one in one manufacturing plant. You can't have all your microchips and defibrillators in one plant in China. I was you just, have to disperse it. I was just world. reading about the whole baby formula thing, actually, and I think that's it's a really interesting problem because yeah. it's a good case study of why you shouldn't have only one manufacturer. Yeah, <laughs> one well, plant do all of your baby formula. I saw the breakdown, like statistics-wise, of uh, the market share of baby formula, and uh, I think the company is called Abbott. Produces forty-eight percent of all baby uh-huh. formula in the United States, and then the rest are like Nestle. Um, oh, I can't remember the other companies, yeah. but uh, the United States only imports two percent of all baby formula. The rest is all produced domestically. Yeah. And the reason that happens is actually because of a, a slight monopolization because they uh-huh. want to have, you know, a yeah. cornered market and like a, yeah. a flow of income that's guaranteed. Yeah. yeah. But another part of the reason that we don't import baby food or uh, baby formula mm-hmm. is actually in large part because of a decision that was made in Congress, I believe, about labeling and um, representation of the product. Oh, interesting. And so it's Mm -hmm. not actually anything to do with uh, quality or standards. Mm -hmm. It has to do with labeling. And so we're in this position in part because we want to bolster a few companies (laughs) and we don't want to deal with labeling from another, like, source. Yeah. And now we, I I was literally, as I was pulling up, uh, I heard on the radio, we just flew in another 100,000 baby formulas. From, From like, Netherlands? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just weird. I, if I was a company, I just don't understand the, the... the logic in having all your plant i I just maybe streamlining maybe the efficiency but one little thing can go wrong and i think in this case it was they had an outbreak of like like the baby formula was bad or something and they had to like recall a lot of baby formula i don't think it's because people got sick or anything at the plant it was just some bad like tainted it yeah so it ruined a lot of their supply chain um but yeah it's it's strange that is really hard because uh it's like the six of the largest food processing and manufacturing plants in the mm-hmm. U.S. have recently had large-scale fires, yeah. building issues. And so I think, like you were saying, <laughs> it's a good idea to maybe say, like, hey, instead of producing everything in this one line right here with these employees, maybe we sort of spread it around. Well, like another companies in other states. Yeah. Like, But then I guess that does come down to, you know. Logistics and yeah, they, money. A lot of companies will produce the things they do in the state they do for a very good reason. Yeah, yeah. And one thing the U.S. is good at uh, at producing domestically, and we always have been, is food. We produce yeah. a lot for our own selves, um, you know, so much that we have enough to export outward. Yeah. Um, actually, I was reading something about that, uh, about Ukraine and wheat, and how a lot of mm-hmm. their wheat actually goes to third world countries. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where ours kind of just fetches mark around the mar- around the world. Ours is a little more expensive, so. Um, I don't know how much of it is, you know, what's the word for that? Uh, like propagandizing with fear. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But I've been seeing a lot of reports coming out of uh, both Russia and Ukraine uh-huh. talking about how because of this uh, this conflict that's been happening, yeah. they have about nine weeks worth of their, like, storages ah, of wheat left in terms of how they, you know, send it out and produce it. Yeah, yeah. And so... Seeing as how they're a huge part of the global economy in uh-huh. terms of food production, I'm curious to see how, if this conflict keeps going on longer, what's going to be the fallout there? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that just has ripple effects across, like we were talking, oil and gas mm-hmm. and wheat and just 
war impacts a lot of different sectors of the economy. Yeah. Um, and, and COVID does too. So I think that's a, that was a good topic that I think that we covered there. Um, war also <laughs> impacts a huge part of our environment and ecology around the world. One yeah. of the largest uh, polluters in the entire world is the U.S. Armed Forces. Yeah. <laughs> which is... That's a little tough to hear. Yeah, when you have a lot of cool technology and you have to uh, practice with it a lot, you do have a huge environmental yeah. impact. Well, not to mention, like, imagine the fuel and the power it takes to move an aircraft carrier yeah. across the world. Yes. It's with thousands of people on board. How much Crazy. waste? Yeah. Um, I kind of want to maybe pivot to around the world. I was looking yeah. up some stuff, uh, what's been going on. Um, so I was actually looking at talking about natural resources again. Um, so since kind of the collapse of the Afghani government, U.S.-backed mm-hmm. uh, Afghani government, the Taliban have come in, and they've actually been trying to figure out how to not be re- so reliant on foreign money coming in because almost like two-thirds of the Afghani budget was just foreign aid coming in, mm-hmm. and they weren't really producing anything or really, you know, there was no value to their economy. Yeah. They're actually um, starting, they have a massive coal uh deposits in afghanistan and minerals that have been untouched because there's not a lot of investment in companies that, yeah. that are there so actually the um the taliban government now that controls the afghani uh country is starting as an ex a, a net exporter of coal um so that's really interesting um, hmm. to kind of throw themselves into the world economy like that yeah i think it's uh, i think it's only a good thing though seeing as how yeah um, historically, U.S.-backed governments in times of change yes. have not been very effective. Like if you Correct. look at South America and the yes. U.S. involvement, yeah. Middle East and the U.S. involvement, yeah. usually when we're backing someone, it doesn't help them in the long run. It doesn't, yeah. And you just kind of give them the reins and hope that they turn out okay, you know. But you're right, often uh, going into country and enforcing our wills upon them yeah. has not wor- worked historically at least um well especially because um like the, the cultural differences of like western society versus the other oh, it's nine day like trying to impose those systems in a place where they've never had similar yeah. uh like function mm-hmm. is very very hard to do like you're yeah. trying to uh assimilate a group of people in another country while you're the guest like <laughs> it's a it's a hard thing to do it is yeah yeah it has never made sense to me especially like we were talking about i think last time we spoke uh that afghanistan is a very tribal government yeah instead of a centralized government uh with different like the u.s is um so yeah it was just a little interesting little tidbit that i saw that they're finally maybe figuring stuff out um that might not be sustainable, and obviously burning coal is not that great for the environment, yeah. but it's no, a clean start. Coal. So, yeah, <laughs> clean coal, just like clean natural gas. <laughs> no, I think that's purely a good thing, though, because the more yeah. a country can gain their own like financial independence from any like yeah. sort of safety nets, the better they are, and the more political power they have to choose their own uh Choose their own path. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want a country to succeed, yeah. you know, even though you may disagree with some of the values of of what you know the Taliban yeah. have. Oh. So, um I wanted to ask you cuz I figured you might have more information on this. Uh what's the historical significance of Switzerland joining NATO in a time like this? Yeah, actually I I don't, I don't know that. Cuz I had I'm read sure. that they decided finally to join NATO after yeah. years of being obstinate about it, but Yeah. It seems kind of like a, another straw on the camel's back of the situation in Ukraine and Russia. Yeah, maybe they just never I always thought maybe they're a neutral country cuz they never had a dog in that fight. They're mm-hmm. just you know, they'd rather be the world bankers than anything. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of skirted them through history. Um, but it is weird uh, 
why Finland and Sweden weren't part of NATO to begin with yeah. either. Um, what gets me is that, uh, like you're saying, they'd rather be the world bankers. I, yeah. I thought it was interesting. I read a book recently that was talking about the historical significance of banking in like the Dutch areas mm-hmm. and how they actually were the ones bankrolling a lot of the Spanish yeah. conquests and the, mm-hmm. the Spanish, like when Columbus came to America, that was funded through the Spanish king by the Dutch. The Dutch, yeah. Which is crazy. I never realized yeah. the significance of them being the bankers of history almost. Yeah, why why wealth concentrated there and not like yeah. I don't know, Lithuania or somewhere random Norway or something. I did uh I did think it was kinda crazy how with Switzerland joining uh NATO, Russia responded by saying that they were going to potentially cut off all uh, natural gas flow towards them and I didn't yeah. realize that somewhere above 40% of all their natural gas and resources in that area come from Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you see this with Germany, the natural gas pipeline coming there. They just cut them off. Um, that's 35% of their, uh, their getting that, you know. And uh, Finland, uh, they were just cut off. That's only 5 or 6% of their overall um, energy. So mm-hmm. um, they're looking at different uh, ways to compensate for that. And they have their own natural gas offshore, so they can tap into that. It's just a... Uh I, I always get surprised because I forget how uh, obviously like ninety percent of countries in the world today do trade together. They're but connected in every way. Yeah, possible. I forget yeah. how exactly connected we are because you think about it in terms of borderlines, but then you think of how X amount of the world's wheat comes from Russia and Ukraine. Yep. Like the potatoes, corn, and this come from the United States. Yep. Like soybeans from. Like we're all in an interconnected system, yeah. And when one superpower starts fighting with another superpower, it yeah. greatly affects the larger scale of the globe. It does, yeah. And actually, uh, interesting that I think I learned about: there's more rice grown in Florida than there is in some countries in Asia, Southeast Asia. Really? Yeah. China produces <laughs> most of the world's apples. Interesting. No, I didn't know that. Weird. Like, uh, like botanist uh-huh. thing right here. But uh, as I've read. The ch- the apple actually originates from China. Oh, really? And that it spread yeah. from there. Oh, they took the seeds from there. Yeah. Oh, weird. It's huh. it's weird to think That's about cool. where uh, yeah. fruits and vegetables are actually native to mm-hmm. versus where they come from. Come from. Because uh, to my understanding, I may I may be misremembering this, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't think tomatoes are native to Italy. Oh really? But that's a huge part. Maybe they of came their from diet. like Africa. Or, I think so. Yeah, or the Middle East. Or I yeah. think they even came from around uh, Spain, maybe. Oh, interesting. Okay, around the Mediterranean, yeah. But it's funny to think about, like, coconuts were only native to uh, certain islands. Yeah. And because of their hard shell, they floated, floated. to other places and took yeah. root. Yeah. <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah, that is weird. Yeah. Um, I got, okay, I got another one uh, around the world. Um, this one is an old Soviet Navy base uh, in Albania, which is part of NATO. Mm-hmm. NATO conversation. Uh, the Albanians have given it to NATO and said, "Here, you know, you guys should uh, uh, re remodel this thing and use it as an actual base in the Mediterranean." So they're hmm. kind of putting a little bit. Of, since Albania is not a huge country and they don't have a lot of military no. dog in that fight, but they have little things like an old Soviet mil- uh, mil- uh, Navy base that they can give up. Uh, kind of just like geopolitical stuff around the world um it is you know it's kind of interesting to me about the whole like uh slavic balkan area mm-hmm. of the world is uh serbia like bosnia herzegovina mm-hmm. uh montenegro croatia like basically former yugoslavia mm-hmm. um 
was the the holding grounds of the stockpile of um, Soviet weaponry. Mm-hmm. And yes. so while they don't have a large military force, at a certain point in time, even within the last 20 years, they had the largest stockpile of stockpile. munitions anywhere in yeah. the world. Yeah, which means warehouses and yeah. weird, cool little bunkers and, yeah, all that infrastructure that requires that kind of military it, It's crazy to think that if they had the manpower, they would be, like, the most <laughs> well-armed military yeah. on Earth. Well, like, Kazakhstan had the most nuclear weapons. Yeah. You know, they put them all in. All the rockets um, technology was there. Mm-hmm. And so it was weird how the Soviets... Um, kind of farmed out those like for example when I was in Lithuania there was a town that was just called like lighting or something but that's all that they did is produced electricity for lights and made light bulbs and that's like all they did and it's just really interesting how the Soviets broke down their economy like yeah, that. Yeah, and like we were saying, like decentralizing your yes. means of production, do yes. you think that was a part of the fall of the Soviet <laughs> Union? Was saying, yeah. like, well, this town produces light bulbs, this town produces slides for pistols. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is interesting to think about how they structured their economy, for yeah. sure, because, like, um, giving the worker the means of production mm-hmm. rather than them being operated by the means of production. Correct. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm not gonna support or deny <laughs> capitalism or yeah. uh communism. It's just it yeah. is what it is historically. It's too deep of a topic to get on yeah, the radio here. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> you got anything else? Any um, other current events? Yeah, I did want to bring up just a fun one because this one kinda made me laugh. Yeah. Uh Twitter is being fined hundred fifty million dollars <laughs> for uh lying about misusing personal data they collect to do targeted advertising interesting kind of like what facebook has yeah yeah and i uh i guess i i guess i do notice ads on twitter mm -hmm. now that i think about it not as much as i do on facebook weirdly most my ads on twitter are for like cat food i don't own a cat (laughs) yeah yeah that's like the thing about instagram like i'll get you know in the just like what's going on today it's just like weird pictures of stuff that Mm -hmm. i'm like i don't have any connection to this i don't know why it's on my feed um I have this personal opinion about targeted advertising, Uh wherein if I see your ad on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and it's for like a large scale company that's trying to target their ads towards me, Mm -hmm. I will purposely never buy that product in my entire life. life. (laughs) Like I'll see some ads for socks every like three days and I'm like, I'm never buying socks. Never. Yeah. Yeah. And they almost do a 180 on their own targeting system. Yeah. Yeah, And I think devices, Uh, when they're, close to each other pick up on yeah you know what they're sharing well that's the thing too that uh i think i don't know if apple ever saw any legal ramifications about it but Mm -hmm. i do know that they were in hot water because um they were finding out that even if your uh location and your microphone were Mm -hmm. turned off in your settings yeah they still had your location and Mm -hmm. could listen to your microphone it was just for specific apps that couldn't do it yeah and so it's like even when you think you're not being tracked, you're being tracked on an even deeper level. Yeah, yeah. Or is uh, Twitter, I wonder if they obviously are going to reply to the lawsuit. I wonder if yeah, what I, their grounds are. Like, they're a private company and they have First Amendment rights to, yeah. you know, post but whatever I, they want. I think it was because their, uh, their safety agreements and their, like, you know, those kind of, like, agreements you yeah. make whenever you make an account. Yeah. Um, I think it's because they misrepresented the information in their safety agreement. I see. Interesting. Yeah. And so it is, yeah, it's kind of funny how I'm not a supporter or a denier of Elon uh-huh. Musk. I just yes. want to say that. I think <laughs> he just is. I have no real opinions on the guy. Yeah. But I think it's funny that this is all coming out right as he's trying to do this takeover. Doing all this. 
Yeah, there's actually a lawsuit coming out of Texas. Um, Texas passed a, I was listening to a podcast, uh, a social media uh, law that said you can't discriminate against on your platforms uh, based on political opinions or sides. And I think Facebook and all the other social media um, websites are challenging that as mm-hmm. a First Amendment violation because they are a private company and they can put their own content on there. And we'll see if, if the state of Texas has that power to say, companies, if you operate in our uh, state, then uh, you will have to be unbiased in what you post and select. I think, yeah. um, I think those laws, more often than not, have to uh like your business has to be headquartered in those states for those laws yeah. to directly affect you affect you yeah which i'm not sure where twitter is headquartered actually. i don't know either but I, I i actually read the law and they took it even a step further and there was like a weird catch 22 where they even said you can not not operate in our state so you have you have to, you're forced to operate in the state um to to prevent so- any any bias of you know if you told the company you, know, you can't have any of these biases, okay, we'll just leave your state and not provide Facebook or whatever to Texas users. And that's their and the, right and the, as a private company, Exactly, right? but the state of Texas is saying, you can't even leave our own state. You have to provide those services in our state, and I don't think that's going to be held up in I, Yeah, I don't see how they have any legal grounds for that. No, uh-uh. and they were talking about this on a podcast that I, I yeah. was listening to. Because so. how interesting, interesting would it be if tomorrow, you know, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook said, people in Texas don't get to use this. Don't use it. <laughs> Like, it, it would have some... Ramifications. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I do think it's interesting because um, part of my part of my big, like, positives for social media is mm-hmm. the fact that we have such level communication now. Because yeah. beforehand, for you to get in contact and have a conversation with a thousand different people across the country, mm-hmm. it would take you months, maybe oh, yeah. years. Yeah. And so... I wonder about what kind of ramifications it would have if we took away those capabilities for just one state. One state. Seeing yeah. how they would be completely missing off of the, <laughs> the conversation on politics, conversation yeah. on like healthcare, anything. Yeah. And I wonder, yeah, that's, that's hard. It's a head scratcher to me. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's going to stand up in court. I don't think so either. Clearly the social media websites how it would work. are going to win against First Amendment yeah. rights of that. I think there's pretty clear established law on what they can provide content on their own uh, platforms. Especially like cash flow wise they wouldn't want to denigrate no. their ability to like operate in another state it, exactly no it, they, it would, the ramifications of pulling out of a state would be yeah in the millions if not tens of you know mi- tens of millions of dollars in revenue it's like part of me wants to see it though yeah just to see what the the fallout of those decisions would be or like how it would ha- how it would operate moving forward yeah because that's yeah. something that i never thought someone would make a case for mm-hmm. like you yeah have to be unbiased here but you can't not operate not here, here. <laughs> like, how do you have both sides of that <laughs> coin <laughs> yeah and they their argument is that social <laughs> media platforms are now more like public centers where people discuss ideas and yeah. not private entities. But you can it's be like, banned from them, so yes. it's not completely... Yeah. They're trying to make that argument stick. I don't yeah. think it's a good argument, but... I think that's really interesting, though. Like, I would love to hear more about it in, mm-hmm. like... The I can't remember the exact um, lawsuit it is, but, it, I, hmm. yeah, it's. I think it's going to be headed to the Supreme Court, so... I mean, court. yeah, personally, like, if we were to see, like, a, a federalization of social media, <laughs> I'm curious to see how that would work, because... Yeah. I mean, do you mean as a more public space instead of yeah, a private entity? Exactly, because I, I, I do agree that social media has given us the capability to have that conversation, like politically or otherwise, with so many people, and it yeah. kind of stabilizes public conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They and, were saying, like before, when you could 
put your soapbox in a public square and speak, that is what social media is now. But what they forget is that you can still go down to the social, down to the community yeah. square and still do that. It you still been, have the constitutional right to organize <laughs> peacefully. That's exactly. never been left. Exactly. Yeah. So it, their argument there is moot huh. to me. So. I, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look into that because I'm actually really excited <laughs> to hear how that would function. But, yeah. Um, well. I'm really glad about the conversations we had today, yeah. and I'm really appreciative of you coming on again. So yeah, yeah. It was when great we to can see you, uh, next month we can do it again. It's, yeah. um, there's always lots of new current events around the world. Yeah, so. and do you have any? Uh, you have any events coming up you want to talk um, about, or are you just breezing through the summer now? Just breezing through. I'm. I work a, a seasonal job in hospitality. Not seasonal. It's open year round. Yeah. But our crunch time is May through October. Nice. I'm I'm all in right now. So well, you know, <laughs> stop, overwhelmed. Stop by downtown. You might see him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, all right, everyone. We're going to get back to the music. Thanks for listening in today, and y'all have a great day.